Good morning. Hey, so good to be here. I want to open up with prayer before we get started. So bow your heads, please. Precious Father, I just thank you for these women and the willingness to learn your word. Father, I pray that your word gets through me, through me or in spite of me, Lord, that it is planted in their hearts and it doesn't leave void here today, but it's applied to our lives. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen. My name is Vanita Jones, and I'm on the teaching team for Women in the Word, and I am so glad to be here today because, I'll tell you, I'd kind of be glad to be anywhere except our house. For the last, probably the good part of the last two weeks, we've been fighting the nasty flu bug, the stomach flu. And um, last Thursday morning at this time, I had rolled over in bed a couple hours before that and realized it had claimed yet another victim, and it was me. And... um, the very thought that went through my mind that morning was, thank you, Jesus, for the flu today. Because if it would have been today, this week, Deb would have been going, what is this chick talking about? Trying to tell you what I had written down in my notes. So I'm glad that I had the flu. That's my praise today. I'm glad I had the flu last week. So I could be here with all of you today. And the weather is fabulous. This is my favorite time of the year. This and those two days in spring and the three days in the fall that we get. My favorite time of the year in Texas. Um, I think it's going to be really short this year. Something tells me. But um, today we're going to be looking at Daniel 5, as you have all week. And it's kind of a crazy story, wasn't it? There's so much in there, and I can't wait to tell you what I found. It was so exciting to study it. What we're going to start off with is I'm going to read the entire chapter of chapter 5 of Daniel from start to finish and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at um, some of the, um, the, the three people that I saw in there and how they lived in Babylon in three di- very different ways and we're going to look at those lives and see what we can apply to our own lives so anyway before we get started once you go ahead and turn to Daniel 5 so I want you to follow along with me but um before we get started, I want to go over just a few things that were a little confusing, I think. Um, some of the who was, who was in charge and all that kind of stuff going on here. It talked about King Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. Actually, he was the co-regent king of Babylon. His father, and it's Nabonidus, 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 who names their kid that anyway? Nabonidus, seriously. He was actually the king of Babylon. He was a Babylonian king, but he had left for about seven years to travel throughout Arabia, and he needed somebody in charge, so he chose his son, Belshazzar, to be in charge. Now, it talked through and through the scripture about his, his father being King Nebuchadnezzar. And, the, and it's not a biblical heir, but it's actually his grandfather. What happens is, in the original language of Aramaic, they didn't have a word for the word grandfather. So the word father was used to talk about ancestors. So when we look back, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar was actually his grandfather. And the mother, the queen mother, who is mentioned in 10, where it says the queen, it's actually the queen mother, was actually married to the king of Babylon at the time. And her son is the co-regent king, King Belshazzar, in charge of Babylon. Clear as mud? Well, this whole week, I kept, I kept going, these people have got to be thinking this is crazy. They talk about father here and this here. So I wanted to clear that up before we get, it, get started. So whenever they talk about his father, King Nebuchadnezzar, it's actually his grandfather. Okay? And the queen is the queen mother, the mum, the one that waves like this. Okay? So we're going to start 
in verse 1, and we're going to read from start to finish. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the kings and the nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets and they had, that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As he drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Wow. You can almost... You're getting ready for the lightning, and it's just... You can see it coming. Then suddenly, the finger of a human hand appeared, and it wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched as the hand... As the hand, as it wrote, his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? It's a genetic problem, I think, in the family. And they're to be brought in and he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now remember, he was the co-regent, right? So he was number two. Dad was off traveling, number one. So this person was going to be number three, right under this king. This is a big deal, okay? Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale, and his nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the father of the king, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king said to him, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought, before, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of God is in you and, you, and that you have inside intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts. He's just thinking, what a buffoon, right? He says, you may keep your gifts for yourself. And give rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writings of the king and tell, the, tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. And those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, it was de he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. 
and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdom of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, but you his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and you had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them, and you praised the gods of gold, silver, and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in your hand, in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he set the hand that wrote, he set, sent the hand that wrote the inscription, and this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed and on the, scale, on the scales and found wanting. And Perez, your nation, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Don't you think Daniel felt like he had just been promoted to cruise director of the Titanic? I'm sure he was just going, great, this is great. I can't even imagine what he felt like. That very night, Belshazzar, king of Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Wow, what a party crasher our God is. He is the great and mighty party crasher, isn't he? You know, I want to look back just a few other things and see who's been in charge up to this point. And on your verse sheet, I gave you a chart just to kind of show you that a few years have passed and that uh, who has been in charge since King Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 B.C., I believe it was. And, and you can use that as you will. Um, but some people love stuff like that. Some people care less. Keep it for your reference. Um, but we can see that there have been many people in charge since King Nebuchadnezzar back in Daniel 4 actually um, declared that God was the most high God, right? There have been several people in charge. And we fast forward to Daniel 5 and we see that King Belshazzar is now the one in charge of Babylon as his dad travels throughout Arabia. Now, I read some on Belshazzar and uh, two words that stuck out were oppressive tyrant and those were probably the nicest two things I heard about him in everything I read. In fact, I feel like I should start all of this with bless his heart. Because it's not a very pleasant story at all. In fact, I think the other three words we can see that describe Belshazzar are indulgent, he's indifferent, and he's irreverent. Bless his heart. This guy was a hot mess. He was a mess. And he was in charge of one of the most productive cities that ever ever was at that time. Now, granted, he was probably a product of his environment. He lived in Babylon, like I just said. And, and the same three words, indifferent, indulgent, and irreverent, could be said of the culture of Babylon at the time. See, Babylon was kind of the uh, metroplex of the Bible times. It was the Big Apple. It was the hub of all business and pleasure. It was always thumping. Something was always going on there. And the people that lived inside the walls of Babylon, they lived well. They ate well. They drank well. And they felt secure and very protected. And listen to this. This tells why they felt so secure and protected. It says that the city was surrounded and circled by two great walls. The outside wall was 311 feet high... It was 87 feet wide, and it was 56 miles long. 
The top of this wall was wide enough that six chariots could ride side by side down the top of this wall. And along that wall, there were 250 guard towers fully manned at all times. They felt so secure. But there was even more. On the outside of that, there was this moat, or a canal, if you will, and it was, it was fed by the Euphrates River that ran north of the city and through the city. And then on the inside of that wall, there was another wall. And not quite as big, but equally as, as, as big to be used as deployment for troops and supplies if there ever was a need for them. Okay, so it was, it was a second wall, and they had these giant gates that they could bring up and lock into place. You know, they felt so secure and protected. Kind of like when we walk in our house and turn our security systems on. They felt secure. And then the Euphrates River it ran from north to south. It ran down, and then it went under the walls on the north side. It went through the city, and then it exited out the, out the, under the walls on the south side of the city. So the great Euphrates River ran right through the middle of Babylon. So they had a constant supply of water at all times. And because of that, inside there were hundreds of acres of fertile soil that they could grow grow anything they wanted on. They could graze their livestock. It was said that at the time of Daniel 5, they had almost a 20-year surplus of food and supplies that they could live on. They wanted for nothing, nothing. You see, I see a lot of parallels between Babylon and this America that we live in today, don't you? And our very lives. You know, they had endless supplies of food. They felt secure and protected. They sought pleasure as the ultimate goal. In fact, it was a way of life. It was a way of life. Life was a party in Babylon, and their motto was, live for today. They worshipped created things. They used the unholy, the holy for the unholy ways. And they were self-confident, prideful, defiant, and rebellious. Sound familiar? I think we're living in a Babylon today, don't you think? Like the people in in, in Daniel 5, we live in the same self-centered, self-confident, prideful, defiant, and rebellious world. Right here we are today. So what I want to look at is the three men that actually lived in Babylon that we can look at in Daniel 5. And I want to see how they lived it. And we're going to take some stuff from their lives. And the first one I want to look at, of course, is the most obvious one, the proud and defiant Belshazzar. This would be the how not to do it, right? Um, according to verses 21 through 31, it said that Belshazzar was numbered, weighed, and he was rejected, wasn't he? He was rejected. And it all happened on the night of Daniel 5. It was uh, actually, I read several places that it was October 12, 539 B.C., that kind of stuff fascinates me. I think it's so cool. And inside the walls, they were, they were getting on, they were partying, going on outside the walls. Outside the walls, the Medes and the Persians were camped out there, just waiting to take over this city. Waiting. And had been out there for some time. But inside these walls, you know, the Euphrates River's running smoothly. Lots of water. The drawbridges are up and securely in place. The sentinels are up high on the walls. And then you've got all this army back behind the second wall. That's the reason Babylon felt so secure and protected. And their foolish king thought they had all that they needed. But you know, God had other plans for Babylon on the night of October 12, 539 B.C., didn't he? See, King Bagshazzar knew. He knew that the Medes and Persians were out there. They were camped up. They'd been there a while. They had been told the sentinels, watch these guys, right? And he didn't seem to care. He showed himself proud and defiant. 
by throwing this party, kind of an in-your-eye possum pie party, because I fear no one. And you can almost just hear the other shoe drop, because it's about to happen. You know, wasn't it his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, that walked out on the, the, the top of that building and said, look at all I've made. You know, he had to have known. It even says that he knew about this. It says he knew. Daniel refers to that. His grandfather lived like an animal for seven years in the wilderness until he learned his, his lesson on pride. And he came back and said that God was in charge and God can humble the proud. I don't know how he couldn't know this or remember it. This had to be a story that got passed around this family. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Crazy Grandpa Neb. I mean, we all have the crazy aunt or the crazy... That story had to pass like wildfire. So he had to have known, but he didn't take it to heart. All that to say, God did big things in his life, and he didn't take it to heart. And he was throwing a huge banquet... When Daniel 5 opens up, with the Medes and Persians camped outside. And in verse 3, we see that party take a really nasty turn. Don't we? He has them bring in those gold vessels that his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, plundered from the Jewish temples years before. And he doesn't just bring them in to drink out of them. He toasts the Babylonian gods with them. Ladies, that was, that had to be the crowning event in Belshazzar's his contempt of God. In fact, and we skip ahead to 22 through 31, we see that it was actually the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, wasn't it? It was the last straw. God said, I've had it with this guy. We're done. And the handwriting on the wall was, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Okay, the word Mene is actually similar to the English word meaning numbered, numbers, and it meant that God had numbered his days as king of Babylon, had numbered his days for his reign. And then it's repeated. The second word is the same word. It's repeated. Do you know why he said that? It's like, it's my final answer. But Shazar didn't ask him, is that your final answer? He said, my decision stands. And the third word was tekel. Tekel, it means, weigh, in English, it means weigh, weight, weight. And it meant that God had put Belshazzar on these divine scales, if you will, and he just didn't measure up. He was found wanting at that time. He was no longer qualified to be a leader, and he was undeserving of the blessings in his life. And the very last word that was up there was parson. Or Paris. And it's actually the same word. Paris is a singular version and parson is the um, plural version of it. But like most English words, this word has two meanings. Now the first meaning is similar to an English word meaning divide, division, or divided. But the interesting part is the second meaning to this word. It blew me away. The second meaning is a reference to the kingdom of Persia. Isn't that interesting that God chose this word to use on the wall, the palace that night? Because see, at that time, Persians had formed a dual empire with the Medes. And God was saying that Babylon was going to be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. I don't think he could have chosen a better word than this word. In fact, I think that's why he made this word. He knew this moment in time was going to come up and he could actually use this word. That's just my speculation. But we go forward to 30 and 31 and we see that what God said would happen, it happened, didn't it? Now, this was kind of cool. That very night that it fell, this, this is how it happened. I researched it because I kind of want to know how it all came about. I always want to know all the words. And 
I knew that all my little war history buffs in my house, my men love war documentaries, just mind-numbing. But it's, I knew they'd be so proud of me that I actually found this out. But it was very interesting how it happened. For about two weeks, they'd all been encamped out there. The commanders of the Medes and the Persians actually sent a thousands, several thousand of his troops to the north of the city where the water went under the, the wall. And he spent, sent several thousand to the south side where the water exits under the wall. And then he sent a few thousand north, about ten miles, and he had them dig an, another route for the great Euphrates River. And when he gave them the command, they were to push all the dirt in there, building a dam. It would dry up the water. And guess what? Right under the walls. They went right under the great walls of Babylon. And they were able to overtake the army, let down those giant drawbridges, and just let all the rest of the army in. And that very night, Babylon fell. It completely took Belshazzar and all these drunken partygoers by surprise. They had no clue what was about to happen. But it was exactly what was foretold just a while before that on the wall. The handwriting on the wall. Belshazzar lost his life that night and the city fell to the Medes and the Persians just as it was foretold on the handwriting. Now in verses 10 through 16, we learn that another person lived in Babylon at that time. It was on its very final night of existence. And that was, of course, Daniel. And we know some stuff about Daniel, don't we? I've grown to love Daniel. He is my new hero. But apparently he was also known by the queen mother. Because, um, it, and remember, she was the daughter of King Nebuchadnezzar. So I'm sure that she heard about, from gr- crazy grandpa Ned, about Daniel, who had lived in the kingdom for a long time. And, and I, that doesn't surprise me. What's kind of surprising to me is that she didn't make more of an impression about it in her son's life. That maybe she did try, I don't know. I've had, I have teenagers who went right over their head. She might have done it right over his head. But all that to say, she enters the banquet hall in verse 10, doesn't she? I don't know if she heard shrieks of terror or voices like it says. I almost wonder if she wasn't next door trying to read and there was all this thumping music and it just stopped. Remember when that happened? You ever heard that in your house? I'll be in there in the game room. There's ping pong balls going and music and boom, it just stops. Oh. I would rather hear shrieks of terror than hear quiet in the game room. Something bad is about to happen. And I suggest that that may be kind of what happened. Things got a little bit quiet in there. So she edges in there. And and as she enters the room, I kind of see her doing this, kind of using that never let them see you sweat mode you go into as a mom. Because she sees these people terrified. And she walks in there and I recognize this because I've used it frequently. In fact, I use it all the time now because my son Casey is a new driver. And, ladies, I can't tell you, if you want to improve your prayer life, if you're having a problem in that area, take a new driver in your car and then hang on. There is nothing like strapping 5,000 pounds of metal to your back and then giving the steering wheel to someone who can't brush his teeth on a regular basis. (laughs) Put a belt on every morning and even remember to shower and then go, here you go. It is that point, that very point in your life when you realize you are not in control. And the prayers begin to flow and flow. And my voice, my my hands are just, I'm quivering and I have to hang on it. And my voice goes up a couple octaves because the adrenaline's racing through my body. And and I think that's kind of what it sounded like when she walked in the room. She's kind of calm her hands down a little bit and she's like, everybody calm down. 
Her voice is up there a little bit. She's like, don't be frightened, king, oh king. And then she proceeds to tell him with her, God, her, her wisdom as a mother that there's a man who lives in Babylon. And he says, these, these are the words she uses to describe him. So different than the words used to describe the king. He said he's filled with the, holy, the spirit of the holy gods. He's wise and understanding. He's knowledgeable, intelligent. He's insightful. He has a keen mind. He's able to solve riddles and interpret dreams. Now, after studying Daniel, I would, I would like to say that I think there are even more words. I think we can use resolute, he was relevant, and he was remembered. And that's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Daniel. I think we can use words like steadfast, he's faithful, he's courageous, he's a leader, he's godly, and the list goes on and on. The guy needs a cape. He's my new superhero in the Old Testament. I love Daniel. Because I feel like there's so much he's living through that we live through right here in this very world we're in today. Now remember, these two men lived in the same Babylon. And had for several years. He had lived there 66 long years. But, he, but they chose to live there, live, like actually live in Babylon in two very different, different ways. See, one chose to live like the rest of Babylon. He chose to live like the life of the party, live for today. And the other chose to remain steadfast to his God and to be set apart from the rest as he lived in Babylon. But I also noticed that he didn't hide away in Babylon, did he? He he was actually promoted by King Nebuchadnezzar. He was out there. He was in the palace. He was out in the world of Babylon living. But he decided early on that when he lived in Babylon, it was going to be different than the rest, no matter what it cost him. And after 66 years of living in Babylon, we see that he's remembered by the Queen Mother as a wise, insightful, godly man of God. You know, what can we learn from Daniel's life as he lived in this hedonistic, immoral world of Babylon? I think we learn three important things as we live in our crazy world that looks a lot like Babylon. I think, number one, we learn that we have to choose every single day to be obedient and be in God's will. And we have to live it out in our lives no matter what it costs us. You see, we saw that in Daniel's life early on in Daniel 1.8. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself this way. And secondly, I think we have to be in communion daily with God through prayer and reading his word so that we actually know what his will is in our lives, so we can discern what he needs us to do. In Psalms 119, 10 and 11, it says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have to do that because I don't think at all at all, that Daniel lived in Babylon and interpreted all those crazy dreams, was promoted within the palace, and he faced, with courage, he faced death so many times, and he still remembered as a wise, godly man without being in communion daily and reading God's word every single day. He had to commune with God, so he knew what he had to do next. And we have to be in his word and we have to pray daily so that we can discern the will of God in our very own lives. But thirdly, I think it's so important that we recognize the hand of God in our lives and that we thank him and praise him every single day for his provision. Daniel does this very thing in Daniel 2, 20-23. And this was after God had revealed, not only revealed that dream, the interpretation of that dream in, in Daniel 2, 
But he also told him what the dream was. Okay, so this is a big deal. And he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes time and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You made known to me and what we ask of you. And you have given and you have made known to us the dream of the king. He gave God the glory for that. And he thanked him for his wisdom. He thanked him for his provision. He praised him daily. Now in verses 10 through 16, we see that unlike Belshazzar, um, who was numbered, weighed, and rejected. Daniel was numbered, weighed, and respected. And we see that that respect was based on his godly wisdom and his ability to remain steadfast in that fast and furious world of Babylon. But we heard about another guy also later on in this chapter. And it was the great King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, of course, he didn't live at this time. He lived several years before. But we learn from that because Daniel was apparently had to be pretty close to King Nebuchadnezzar. He knew a lot about his life, and he proceeds to remind the defiant Belshazzar of the powerful lessons that God taught his grandfather. And those lessons were that God is sovereign, that God is able to humble the proud, and he deserves to be honored and glorified. And remember that? He learned that after seven years on that miserable field trip I told you about a few weeks ago, when he didn't learn about pride in the classroom, and he lived like that animal for seven years. And remember at the end, he lifted his head to the heavens, and he declared that God was in charge, and he was able to humble the proud. Remember that? And then after that, God restored him, not to the previous level that he was before. He blessed him beyond that. He blessed him even more. See, King Nebuchadnezzar was weighed, numbered, weighed, and restored. He was restored. And I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that the most of us in this room, we strive to live our lives just like Daniel. Just like Daniel. We want to be steadfast, faithful, and obedient to our God. But if you're anything like me, your life looks like King Nebuchadnezzar's life. You know, I do it all the time. I strive with all my might to do what I can do and be successful at it. And then when I am successful, I forget to bless the very one that has blessed me with that. And then the the pride starts to seep into my life and I rename it, make it look better. I rationalize it. You know, I deserve that. And it just seeps into every area of my life, just like it did in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. But you know, the good news is that if we're in Christ... We're not numbered, weighed, and rejected at all. And what does it mean to be in Christ? What does that mean? You hear it all the time. Well, this is what it means. It means that, number one, it means that you can admit that you're a sinner and that you are separated from a holy and perfect God. You know, in Romans 3, 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And after admitting it, you have to understand that that penalty for that sin is death. It's, it, we deserve eternal separation from a holy God and all that is good. But in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. After we admit and we understand that we should, should die for our sin, we have to believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty 
by dying on the cross for our very sin. For our very sin. And he conquered death by raising from the dead. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And lastly, he just simply received that free gift. It's a free gift. Simply trusting Christ alone, Christ plus nothing, as your Savior for sin and death. And that he is your provider of true and eternal life. In Romans 5, 4 through 5, it says, Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from ourselves, it is the gift of God. I love it. It's not a gift. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. See, if you believe these things and you've prayed to ask Christ to be your sin substitute, you are not weighed, numbered, and rejected. You are weighed, numbered, weighed, and, and redeemed. You're redeemed, not rejected. And as we live our lives in Babylon, we can rely on the grace and mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we, for him to guide our footsteps as we move through this crazy world that we live in. Because you see, we're not called to live in Babylon, hidden away, in our little houses, afraid to be out around people and, and do the things that scare us. We're called to live in our Babylon, right? He calls us to be the light of the world. We're supposed to shine above everyone else. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I think that's exactly how Daniel lived his life in Babylon. Exactly. Because you see, we see him remembered in Daniel 5 by the Queen Mother and respected as a godly man. We also see that because of Daniel's steadfast example to King Nebuchadnezzar, his, his example of obedience and faithfulness, King Nebuchadnezzar was eventually humbled by God and restored by God. Right? He was blessed by God. But sadly enough, just like in the case of Belshazzar, we can see that people can defy God's will and blaspheming his name only so long before the hand of God starts to move in their lives. And the proud and defiant Belshazzar misused the things of God, who refused to learn the lessons of old that he could have learned from his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. And it resulted not only in the loss of his kingdom and his life, but even more importantly, he lost his eternal life with Christ Jesus. He was numbered, weighed, and rejected. As Christians, we can take our lives in Babylon, and our own Babylon, and we can look back at these men and look at their lives with great hope. It should give us great hope. As we look at the life of Belshazzar, numbered, weighed, and rejected, we see that we serve a God that is just. He's a just God, and that he is sovereign over every single kingdom of the earth. Still today, every nation, every government is under his power and under his sovereignty. And secondly, the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was numbered, weighed, and restored, it reminds us that we serve a God 
that is not only able to discipline us when we need it, but he's also very willing and very able, very merciful to us, to restore us and bless us even more. And lastly, the life of Daniel. He was numbered, weighed, and respected. His life is a clear example, a clear example of how we live a godly life, being obedient and faithful and steadfast right here in our own Babylon. Please pray with me. Precious Father, I just thank you for your words. I thank you that um, you're with us right here in this world we live in. As crazy and as wild as it seems to get, Lord, you are still here. You are still in charge. Father, I pray that we take that to heart. Lord, that we spend time in your word and we, we commune with you every day so that we can know your will and live it out in our Babylon. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.